0: All of you moms, you guys are heroes. I've got my wife over here. Baby, happy Mother's Day. You're incredible. And, uh, we're stoked that you're here. In fact, we love you moms so much. We are launching a marriage and family series for the next five weeks. Ladies, can I get an amen? I know you've been praying for us to do something like this. And here we are. And really, our heart behind this, guys, is we want to help get your marriage postured to flourish like never before. The series title is going to be Till Death, the marriage that you long for. I'm really excited to dive into this. Before we get into the message today, just a few housekeeping items as we approach this series. Number one, I wanna speak to the singles because I know we have a beautiful growing community of single people here at this church, and uh, maybe some of you that will ultimately never actually get married. And what I wanna tell you is we are not preaching that you have to get married to experience the abundant life that Jesus has for you. In fact, uh, marriage at the center of it, ones that are healthy, it's all about a personal fulfilling relationship with Jesus, we'll talk about all of that, and you can have that whether you're married or not, right? And so, and who knows, maybe you're gonna meet somebody here at this church, in this series, and you'll get married, and it'll be great, but I wanna start with that because that is important. Secondly, uh, you know, if you are here and your marriage is in a tough spot, it's struggling, of which I know that there are many of us in this church where that is the case, what I wanna encourage you into is transparency and vulnerability and the ability to call it like it is because you're not going to get the help that you need unless we are willing to acknowledge, yeah, there's dysfunction here. Yeah, there's disunity here. Yeah, our oneness is broken down. Yeah, we're not healthy because then and only then can we make the decision that only you can make in the context of your marriage, which is to actually put the work in. Now, here's the idea. You are going to get out of this series what you put into it. We can't fall into this trap that says, oh, hey, we're doing a cool marriage series, a new song. And now all of a sudden the magic, you know, marriage fairy is going to show up and sprinkle some dust on us and we're going to, all our problems are going to go away. That's not how this is going to work. We're going to do a lot of work as far as the theological framework for marriage is concerned and give you some really great practical tools. But all of this is only going to be as good as what you are in, willing to pick up and invest and put to work. And here's the idea with this. It's that marriages left to themselves, they don't trend towards flourishing, but towards division and destruction. And anybody that's got a measure of honesty in charge, let me hear. You you say amen with me, right? Like that's the reality. Marriages don't trend towards unity and flourishing, but towards destruction. And so we want to fortify you and strengthen you last, and then we'll navigate into uh, what we're going to talk about today. What's fascinating, not fascinating, funny to me, being put in this environment of the primary communicator of a series on marriage and the marriage you long for is Mar- Marissa and I, we've been married for six years. You know, a lot of you, you've been married and doing it longer than we've been alive, okay? And so I'm just soaked that you're here. And uh, in fact, for Marissa and I, we are currently, we've navigated through since the loss of our daughter in December, the most difficult, heartbreaking, horrible season that we have ever had in the context of our marriage, we have found the absolute lowest of lows. And here's the thing, why I wanted to do this is partly because we need this. My marriage need this. And so if this is you, if you're like, yeah, we need something like this, then praise God you're here. We're going to approach the Bible as fellow learners together, and we're going to see about divorce proofing some marriages and some families at this church, which I'm very excited to do. Let's go ahead and start with a big idea here, everybody, and it's this. Marriage is about so much more than your survival, can I just preach that to you right off the bat here? Did you know that marriage is about so much more than you just surviving? Did you know marriage is actually a gift from God that he gives to you? And in fact, it's a sign of his favor even, the, the Old Testament says, right? Like he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Gentlemen, I know you might not be feeling that right now, but nevertheless, it's the case. And marriage is not just about survival. God really does. Let me just pitch a vision for you here for a second. He has a vision of you flourishing in the context of your marriage and your family like you never have before. And so it's this idea, let me illustrate it like this. I've done several weddings over the last uh, however many years I've been doing weddings, and uh, one of my honestly least favorite things to do, because everybody is so in love and happy, and everything's gonna be great, and we're never gonna fight, and it's gonna be easy, right? And then just it's just, like, ignorant! Like, no, it's the most difficult thing you're ever gonna possibly do, but just go ahead and exist in that delusion for as long as you possibly can. For us, it hit pretty Quick. In fact, we started throwing around the idea of divorce on our honeymoon in Hawaii. So it happens pretty quick. Thank God she stuck with me and we're still together today. But uh, this isn't about So you, you do these weddings and uh, you'll get through the ceremony, you get to the reception, and then we do this like dance thing. You guys know what I'm talking about where, you know, the MC is like, all right, if you're married, get out on the dance floor. And you start dancing and it's like so music and great. And then he's like, okay, if you've been married less than a year, you guys suck, you don't know anything, go sit down. And so, right? And all the way up to you know 25 years and there's that couple who's got gray hair they look like each other now and they're just they're just like dancing and what does everybody do what's the reaction we clap whoa yeah 25 years that's but here's the thing guys I think a follow-up question is necessary like did it suck right like Seriously, I mean serious like they like did it suck? You, you made it to 25, great, like we'll clap for that. But like how was getting there? I mean, sure, like you still live together, you never signed the papers, but along the way you've thought about 997, you know, different ways of murdering each other, and you actually tried a couple different times and you're living roommates passing ships in the night, but hey, right on, 25 years. That's great, congratulations. Like, I think a follow-up question is actually necessary. Listen, God wants you to flourish. Let me just tell you, I know we got some brokenness in this room. God wants you to flourish, right? And the point is, anybody can have a great first day, it's an entirely different thing to have a great last day of your marriage. Entirely different thing. Anybody can have a great first day. It's a completely different thing altogether to have a great last day. And what my heart is for you, what my heart desires for my marriage, our heart as leaders, as elders, as pastors, for you in the context of your marriage, your soon-to-be marriage if you're single or engaged, is that you would have a better last day than first day. That's what we want to get you uh, connected to. And this is important because, you know, I think we all have a vision when we get married of, yeah, it's going to be great. We got a vision of a great marriage. Nobody gets married and says, yeah, you know what? This is going to suck. And uh, I'm just really looking forward to the day when I'm going to roll over randomly and see your face and just, you know, wish that I never would have married you and can't stand you because that will happen, by the way, right? It, does. it really does. It does happen, right? We don't have that vision, but the problem is if we're not intentional, Right? We're gonna drift in that direction. And this is why marriages are hard work. It's some of the most difficult work that you could possibly engage in, but nevertheless, some of the most glorious. And uh, why this is so important is still, sociologists are saying the divorce rate, nationally speaking, has come down a bit. We're still within the range of about 40 to 50% of marriages ending in divorce. We'll talk about uh, some research that's come out of the University of uh, Virginia in a fall. following weekend from now that talks about how basically the sociologist, he looked at married, Christian married couples, right, that are actually, they don't just profess Christ, but there's actually Christian practice. They go to church. They study the Bible together. They pray for one another. They pray with one another. The, The divorce rate literally plummets to near zero, right? And so, you know, like domestic violence plummets down to zero. Fathers are said to be more engaging and tender with their children. These marriages that are uh, Christian in nature, in profession, and in practice, they actually profess higher levels of sexual satisfaction and fulfillment and emotional connectedness and tenderness towards one another. So that whole thing that you've heard is 50% of Christian marriages end in divorce. It's totally not true. Well, that's just a snippet from a following sermon, even though I just gave you the whole thing. I couldn't help it. It's so good right but here's the reality the divorce rate is coming down nationally speaking because why we're realizing collectively as a society our narratives have been wrong right like this has turns out divorce is hell turns out hookup culture is hell and it doesn't actually fulfill you it doesn't bless and build up it breaks down hurts harms and destroys and, uh, you know, like, in fact, the, uh, the Institute for Divorce uh, Financial Analysis, they say the leading cause of divorce in the United States, you know what it is by 43%, is basic incompatibility. So, you know, you get a couple that's moving towards divorce, and then the divorce attorneys are like, hey, why do you want to get a divorce? They check the box that says basic incompatibility. Now, let me just save you a lot of pain. Can I just save you a lot of pain in your marriage? You have to realize you're incompatible. You are incompatible. That's the reality of marriage. You married a broken, flawed, sinful human being and all the wives in church said, "Amen. Yes, I did, brother. Thank you so much for laying out the truth." Today. That's, right? That's the reality. You mean, and this is where the Bible's idea of sin is really helpful. Listen, marriage is not about finding the perfect Person. Marriage is about two imperfect people following a perfect Jesus together and keeping him at the center. That's the only way this is going to work. And you've been lied to in the midst of our culture that says, hey, you know what? It's all about you got to find that perfect person that's going to fit the contours of your life and be all about your happiness and your fulfillment and your blessing. And they're just going to be all about you. And guess what? You married somebody that thought the same thing. So no wonder it doesn't work. Listen, this is not about you, single people, this isn't about you finding the perfect person. This is about two imperfect people joined together by a perfect God, keeping a perfect Jesus at the center. And that's the only way that this thing is gonna work. And, you know, what's interesting is uh, Marissa and I actually, let me just throw us under the bus here for a second because it's fun to do and uh, I think helpful. But, you know, here's here's the thing. Marissa and I, which you guys gotta understand, we are so incompatible, it's not even funny. In fact, all the personality tests that we did before we were <laughs> married, true story, are like, hey, you probably shouldn't get married. Like, this is how you work and how you work, very different, very incompatible. It's not gonna end well, so you should just save yourself. No joke, we're in premarital counseling. And, like, that's what these tests are telling us. Like, wow, That's really encouraging. Thanks for that, you know? But, you know, we're we're so different in so many different regards. I'm an extrovert. She's an introvert. I wanna be around people. She wants us to just go into the mountains and camp for months on end and never have any human interaction whatsoever, right? Our conflict styles. I'm like, hey, we're gonna duke this out. We're gonna fight this out. We're gonna stay up till past midnight. We're gonna figure this thing out. Marissa's like, Tay, you're an idiot. You're super hurtful. Shut up and go to bed, right? Like, leave me alone, you know? Like, our conflict. Our money styles are totally different. I'm like, hey, let's spend it all, baby. Money's growing on trees in this family. And it's not. And then she's like, she's Dutch, so very different. And so we are so different, guys. But here's the point. Let me just tell you this. I love my wife. So She is my best friend. She really is. Like, we're navigating through the most difficult thing a family can navigate through right now, the loss of a child. And I've never had more love for her than I do right now. Why? It's not because we're compatible. It's because Jesus has the center. The most important relationship in my life and my marriage isn't my relationship with Jesus, it's my relationship with Jesus. It's not, it's not Marissa's relationship with me. The most rela- important relationship in the context of our marriage is our individual and together relationship with Jesus. And that's the only way this is gonna work. Listen, you married somebody that you're incompatible with and you just have to accept because then what happens is you can realize that your differences are not weaknesses, your differences are your strengths. And so what happens, we get in relationship with somebody that's maybe a little bit different than we are and it gets difficult, it gets hard because it is hard. That's the whole And what happens is we get frustrated, and so the fantasy reel starts to kick off in our mind. Man, what would it be like to be with somebody? I'm an extrovert. What would it be like to have somebody a little bit more outgoing, a little bit more people-oriented, a little bit more fun-oriented? You know what you're saying nine times out of 10? You want somebody a little bit more like you. Think about it. Come on, we're in church, tell the truth. You know that's the case. That's what happens is the fantasy reel kicks off and then it's like, yeah, like here's my dream person and you know what just happened? You just dreamed up yourself, bro, right? That's how much of a narcissist you are. You're like, I think I'm the perfect partner for myself. Turns out, not the case, right? Opposites, you've heard the saying, opposites attract, right? It, what we found out is opposites attract and then they attack, but by God's grace, we're still together. Your differences are not a weakness, guys. You have to realize that. They're a strength, right? Because of Marissa, we haven't gone bankrupt yet. You know, like that's the your differences. They actually are meant to complement one another and bring you both towards reflecting the image and the glory of God more. No, 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 no. Culture's lied to you. It's not a weakness. It's not a downfall. You have to learn to appreciate the way that your spouse is different and recognize and leverage it as a strength. Now, here's the thing, guys. I know I'm gonna be laying out a lot of principles here and uh, I'm I'm, I'm totally acting like I know everything. Why I can talk about this is because Marissa and I have made every single mistake in the book, right? This is what we, we ended up in this period of like, wow, we're really different. Like, this just isn't working. And by God's grace, this is something that's really helped us out. There's no perfect people, only a perfect Jesus. And this is what we we have to get connected to. Um, You know, this is uh, uh, the, the most important thing that you can have in common is Jesus. This is why the question, let me just ask you married people a question, or for those of you that are single that wanna be married, you have to answer the question, what are we going to build the foundation of this relationship on? What are we gonna build it on? Culture isn't working, right? We all know that. Like it's not legit, it's not helpful. What are you actually going to build your marriage, or maybe you're married right now, what have you built your marriage on, right? Basic compatibility, it's a joke. Your own personal happiness, it's a joke. Sex, right? Like you have a couple kids, stuff literally starts just falling off, right? Like it, it it's a joke. Like what are you, your own personal fulfillment? You're a joke, bro. What are you doing? That does, This isn't how this is going to work. That's going to break everything down because the marriage wasn't, marriage was not meant for that. And of course, Jesus gets at this idea in uh, Matthew chapter 19, and he's basically, he's teaching on marriage and divorce, actually fascinating passage by which we can draw many implications. I've got a few points of application I wanna draw from uh, the text here as we approach it today. But his main point is, listen, I have to have the center or this isn't gonna work. Now, I, you, like, you have to build your marriage on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Christ and it, or it will not work. You're gonna turn on one another. You're gonna eat each other alive, right? And many of you, you're experiencing that right now. And so Jesus is gonna correct that. And he says this in verse four. He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. This is what we're gonna focus on today. What therefore God has Joined together Let not man Separate What therefore God Has joined together Let not man Separate Now singles this is really important for you That has to be true of your relationship with your your, your next spouse. Because the question is, maybe you're dating somebody right now that's not a Christian, not a believer, whatever. The question is, is this a relationship that God has joined together, or am I just approaching my late 20s, early 30s, mid 30s, late 30s, 40s, and just getting a little bit desperate? Like, ladies, I know I've told you this before, you used to want a man of the cross, and now you've just kind of settled for a man with a tattoo of a cross. You can't Do that, right? Like, don't do that. Don't do that. Wait, wait, be patient. You are looking for that relationship that God is actually joining together. Now, let me just say this. He's not going to yoke you up with an unbeliever. If if you're a Christian, you are following Jesus, you love Jesus, you worship Jesus. He's not, God is not going to join you together with somebody who is not saved. That is not God's best for you. Why? Because a house divided cannot stand. You gotta wait you gotta be patient he's God is best for you you just gotta be willing to wait for it and allow God's sovereign timing a a house divided can't I can't tell you guys how many young people I've counseled that have said oh man but she's just she's really hot you know it's like dude like hell's hot too right and so hot doesn't (laughs) hot does not automatically equal good thing I should invest my life in this direction it doesn't it doesn't right and so, so like you, you, you have to wait for God's timing. He does have somebody for you, and it's going to be a great thing if you can hold out and just trust His timing. He will show up. And so, the reality of what Jesus is getting at in Matthew 19, we saw this. So, God created male, female, and He's joining them together, which is the idea that God created marriage. Right, marriage is God's good idea. This is a gift that he has given us uh, to enjoy, to be enjoyed, right? This is, he invented it. And so the point is, is it's not gonna function how it's meant to function if you're not gonna build it how it's meant to be built. When I was a kid, my dad was very, you know, do-it-yourself, not very good, but very do-it-yourself. And uh, I remember growing up, I was like six years old. And he was like, hey, Taylor, here's the thing. Simpson men, we never read directions. (laughs) Anybody raised by that, Dad? Anybody that, Dad? Okay, I'm just gonna, I'm I'm gonna save you a lot of pain. You gotta stop, okay, because you're gonna mess your kids up. And so, Right, I remember being a kid, and, and we're like just messing with stuff, and it's just taking forever. And I'm I'm like six years old. I'm like, Dad, this seems dumb, but okay, whatever. Simpsons don't we don't uh, redirect this. So it was great. I grow up. I get my own family. We bring Asher home, my son, firstborn, whom I love so much. And uh, you know, this idea was great until I had to piece together his first crib, which was like three thousand flipping pieces. And so I'm literally trying to figure it out. I'm like, Oh my gosh i'm not going to be able to do this i can't read the directions though right because that's just that's like backing out on my entire childhood i'm going to find out that everything was a lie and i'm a failure of a person right and so that's what i'm literally being confronted with and so i was like you know what nobody's around i'm just gonna take a peek i'm just gonna take a peek so i go i open it i open up the forbidden book okay and i begin to read and the most magical thing I got the thing done in 10 minutes, y'all. Just boom, done, busted it out. What's the point? You have to build it according to the plan. Right And marriage is the exact same way. It's not gonna function. It's, you're not gonna flourish unless you build it how God has intended it to be built. The idea of, of Matthew 19, part of what Jesus is getting at is, listen, God has to be the center. He's the, he's the father taking husband and wife with his arms around, bringing them into oneness and togetherness and covenant marriage. He's the center. But here's the thing. He has to be the center of your marriage. Is Jesus the center of your marriage? And here's here's the thing. When we step into God's design for marriage, we learn really quick that it's all about, God's vision for you is, this is a covenant relationship. This isn't a contract. Marriage is a till death union. Uh, we, We operate in our society very contractually oriented. If you do this, this, and this, then you get X amount of dollars. If you do this, this, and this, you get jail time and a mass to find, right? We, we exist in these very contractual-oriented environments, and, uh, uh, and so what happens is we bring that into marriage, and we say, okay, well, you know what? As long as you love me, as long as you serve me, as long as you make me happy, then I'll stick in this thing. That's a contract, that's not a covenant. God's idea is the complete opposite. You wanna know what a covenant is? A covenant, okay, you guys ready? I'm gonna lay the heavy on you right now. Get this, this is what a covenant says. Regardless of what I get from you or don't get from you, regardless of what you do to me or don't do for me, I will be faithful to to keep my vows. That's a covenant. That's crazy, right? Like, Like that's, that's, we don't have relationships. like We've we kind of deconstructed that thing, but nevertheless, this is God's vision of marriage, that it's a permanent and binding covenant. The two become one flesh. How are you going to cut two in one? This is why Malachi says divorce is violence. It's straight up violence, because it's a hacking of that one flesh union. Now let me just save you some some trouble here, because maybe you're here in this room when you're, you're on the brink of divorce, or you've never thought about it more critically and realistically than you have right now. Let me just tell you this, that the grass is not greener on the other side. It's greener where you water it. It might not look so great where you are right now. Bust out the sprinklers, get yourself in the presence of God, and watch how he can begin to flourish you in the context of your marriage. When you see something that looks better off on the horizon, it might just be a mirage. And oftentimes that's the case. And in fact, the stats on marriage and divorce and remarriage, they tell us this, right? Your first marriage, you got like 40 to 50% chance of divorce. Second marriage, you're up to 67% likelihood of divorce. The third marriage, you're just shooting the dice at that time, and you're looking at 75% of that third marriage ends up failing. Why? You know, because, because the, only, the only common factor in all three of those marriages is what? It's you, right? It's you, it's you. That's the reality. And so this is, this is what we have to come to terms with, that marriage isn't, listen, marriage is not a window into somebody else's dysfunction. It's a mirror into your own depravity and sinfulness and proclivity towards destroying every good thing in your path. And that's absolutely been the case for me and what I've, I thought when we got married that Marissa was the problem. And then, by God's grace, what I realized is, ah, oh, she's pretty awesome, And I'm I'm the issue here, right? And that's that's when you can begin to flourish. Is when we can take responsibility for that. Jesus is like marriage is a permanent thing. This is why when we uh, go through premarital counseling with couples, one thing that we'll often talk about is, uh, you know, like it's with this illustration of it being permanent. Is like you know when you're when you're dating, when you're getting to know somebody, you're just like kind of hanging out in the kitchen, but you've always got the back door in view, right? It's always there. It's like, yeah, we're, we're hanging out, we're chilling out, we're talking, we're getting to know each other. But I see the back door. Why? Just in, in case this person turns out to be a psychopath. So it's like, you know, we're chilling. Like, hey, yeah, like, tell me about yourself. So, you know, yeah, like, have you, what do you like? Uh, have you, like, killed anybody recently? Or, like, you know? <laughs> no. Oh, cool! Yeah, you know, I think I think this could really work out. You know, like that's it that tends to be the litmus test for uh, relationship viability at this point. Is you haven't killed anybody? Okay, great. We could give this a shot. But the problem is, when you get married, you have to rip that back door off of the house, frame it up, board it up, and put a wall there. That back door goes away. It's till death. Did you say that when you got married or not? Let me just remind you of your vows. It doesn't matter, by the way, if Jesus gave an exception clause in Matthew 19. What does he also say in the Sermon on the Mount? Keep your oaths. Like, do what you say you're gonna do. So, okay, exception clause. Maybe, let's even go there for a second. But you stood before this person, and you said, till death do us part. Till death do us part. I'm not I'm not walking out. And Jesus, you know, he, he, there was no exception clause, guys. It wasn't like I'm gonna stay in this thing until you don't make me happy and then I'm gonna bail or until life gets difficult and then I'm gonna bail. No, in sickness and health, for better or for worse, I'm not bailing on this thing. I will be faithful to my end of the covenant. It's not like Jesus is looking at any of us and saying, you know what, like I know you said till death, but you're right. She kind of sucks, so I'll give you a pass. Let's try again. He doesn't do that. Why? Because marriage is a permanent covenant commitment. And we have to start here because some of you at the most most basic level, you need to come back to commitment. You need to shut the fantasy reel off in your head, throw it in the garbage can, and re-up to say, this is my person. I made vows to them before God, and I'm gonna stick this thing up because only then... Once you get back to ripping that back door off of the house, because some of you, you're, you're back there with a chisel and a hammer, man. You're like trying to get out of this thing, right? You got to put it down and invest and work and try hard and put your best into it. And that's the only way this is going to work. You have to come back to commitment. You have to come back to what God has joined together, let not man separate. In fact, what's interesting about Bible times, you know, when you study the scriptures, the covenant is a massive theme from cover to cover. And in the Old Testament, how a covenant was established uh, is they would essentially take an animal, they would hack the animal in half, separate it, and then both parties entering into the covenant, they would walk through the animal together. You know what they're saying? If I break this thing, let it be done to me what was done to this animal. Like, Like literally hack me up into pieces, make me like this dead you know, cow thing, whatever, right here, because I broke my covenant. And in fact, men, what they would do is they would actually, (laughs) when they're making, I don't know why I'm talking about this, but when men would enter into covenants with other men over marriage or land or whatever, they would reach up each other's skirts, grab each other's junk, and they would say, if you break this, these are mine, right? Thankfully, we've grown out of that, okay? We don't do anything close to that. We'll settle for the ring, all right? Let's just do that. But, you know, like this, it was a serious thing. It was a life covenant. This is why, you know, Dwight, Angela, right? Great theology at the end of the office. This, you know, the series finale. They're they're getting married in their own graves. Dude, I love that. It's like, I'm gonna do that. The next couple I marry here, I'm gonna make you guys get married in your own graves. We're gonna go out to Moles and buy you a plot and you're gonna stand in it together and you're gonna do your vow because it's till death. There's no exception clause, and we have to come back to this place of commitment, or we cannot go anywhere. Listen, and to do that, you gotta realize marriage isn't about your happiness. This isn't about you finding happiness, fulfillment, self worth in another person, right? We get married and we think, you better make me happy. What happens when you do that in that very moment? You crush your spouse. You crush them. You just pummel them to the ground. Why? Because they were never made to carry that load. Marriage is not about this other person fulfilling you or serving you, making you happy, fitting to your life. Marriage is about you loving and serving and blessing and giving of yourself fully and completely to this other person, even when they don't deserve it. By the way, even when there's just a total loser, a walkout loser disaster, and just burning your marriage and your family to the ground, God's heart till death. Now, of course, now don't get me wrong. There are instances and we have counseled people in the situation of gross neglect and abuse, physical, verbal, emotional, spiritual, that separation may be necessary for a time. Uh, There absolutely is situations when that's necessary for the safety of the wife and the children and we will move in that direction. Nevertheless, 98% of the situations that we have ever worked with here at Newsong, they come down to basic incompatibility. We're different. And we don't know how to deal with that. We gotta commit to our differences and recognize that they're they're strengths. Jesus is saying in Matthew 19, part of the other implication that we can draw from this is he's like, listen, don't try to get out of marriage when only God can give you. Don't try to get out of marriage when only God can give you. In fact, in atheistic cultures like ours that have rejected God, what we do is we transcendentalize other things. And so in marriage, what happens, if God isn't the center of the marriage and the family, you put your spouse there or you put yourself there and everything begins to fizzle out and be destroyed. When you put your spouse there, you crush them because they were never meant to carry that load. Listen, I fail my wife constantly, guys. I do, Like, every single week, I fail Marissa. In fact, yesterday, I realized mm, that today was Mother's Day. And so I was like, hey, babe, like, what do you want for Mother's Day? You know, trying to just, like, course correct a little bit. And in my defense, I did just buy her a house. But apparently, that doesn't make the cut these days. So... I gotta figure out something else. I fail her all the time, right? And so if she if she ever rolls over in bed and looks at me and is like, mm, give me happiness. It's like, no, I can't do that. Give me fulfillment. Give me satisfaction. Give me joy at the true base level of my heart. It's like, I can't do that. And you know what happens? If she puts me in that situation or if I put her in that situation, what I do is I get hobbies. I get busy. I spend more time in the garage and or hanging out with the boys. Why? Because when I'm with the dudes, nobody's looking at me like, hey Taylor make me happy give me happiness no you get slapped for that right like that's that's weird we don't do that and what's the problem what's the point you can not put these expectations on your spouse that only Jesus can satisfy and this is what many of us need to do you need to take the expectations that you have on this person and put them onto Jesus and in fact Dr. Gary Roseberg he says this the first step towards divorce you know what it is it's disappointment it's disappointment that, that, you know, I have a dream scenario. Everything's gonna go great. This person's gonna be perfect. We're never gonna fight. It's gonna be legit. We're gonna have sex three times a day. It's gonna be awesome, you know? And, and then what happens is you get married and it's like, I'm tired and I wanna sleep, you know? Like, or, or whatever it is, right? You, disappointment enters into the relationship. Disappointment then turns to discouragement because this isn't meeting me at the level of what I expected to get out of this relationship. Discouragement translates to distance. Now we're just ships passing in the night. Distance leads to discord and then to divorce Why? It's because you're expecting way too much out of this person This is why one of the survival tactics of marriage You want to know what it is You take your expectations of this person from all the way up here And you literally bring them all the way down to here Literally down here all the way down there. You, you, just, you just accept the fact, yep, both sinners, both imperfect. I'm not gonna ask for you what you can't give me that I can only give from Jesus, get from Jesus. And we're just gonna commit to that version, vision that we're imperfect people following a perfect Jesus and let him to work us out in the midst of our differences. The purpose of marriage, a part of it in your life, it's not to save you. That's what I'm trying to say. It's to sanctify you, it's to make you like Jesus. It's not to save you from a meaningless existence where there's a lack of purpose and joy and fulfillment and happiness. It's meant to sanctify you. In fact, Paul gets at this idea in Ephesians chapter 5, which we'll get into this chapter. There's a lot of amazing stuff here. He says in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with The word, Paul is like, listen, this is about first and foremost, it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus' relationship with the church. And the purpose of marriage is to sanctify you. It's actually to knock off the edges on your life and make you more like Jesus. Listen, the purpose of your marriage, it's to grate at you and grind you down. So if it's hard, (laughs) we had some couples laughing. That's legit because they learned that, right? And so they stuck together, that's the point, right? But, But so if it's hard for you right now, it's part of the point that it's working. Right? It's meant to be hard, guys. It's like that, that line from that. If it was if it was easy, everybody would do it. You know, like that's the reality. It's like this is meant to grade at you and to grind you down. The purpose of marriage is, is my humility. It's, my, it's to make me humble. It's to make me like Jesus. And this is what God uh, does. And, and, and a great tool that he uses to actually see that happen. The purpose of marriage isn't to uh, save you, but it's to sanctify you. And this is why William Doherty says, uh, a good marriage can be brought down in two years by focusing on what you're not getting out of a relationship and how your partner fails to live up to your expectations. For many of you, again, this is, this is the singular reason why stuff sucks right now. You're looking for transcendent fulfillment for from an imperfect person, and this is not about any of that, right? This is not about your fulfillment, satisfaction, and happiness. And this is why I'm gonna get really controversial here for a second. This is why, don't write me an email, by the way. Please do not write me an email about this. This is why I can't stand the book, His Needs, Her Needs, right? Because what it does is that the base operational paradigm for the book is that you have needs that only your spouse can meet. So these are my needs, and, and what happens is it brings in a contractual paradigm to the marriage that says, well, you know, hey, here's the thing, Pastor. She's not fulfilling my needs, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna back up my end of the covenant here, right? It trains selfishness in marriages instead of training selflessness, which is what Jesus is after. And listen, you are never going to flourish in the context of your marriage if you don't learn to get those expectations for perfection off of your spouse and put them onto Jesus, where you're never, you're never gonna be able to flourish if you keep looking at this person who is imperfect sinful, flawed, and broken just like you are to fulfill your deepest desires and needs which you do have but it's it's only going to be satisfied in a vertical relationship with Jesus and then the marriage begins to reflect God's glory because you individually are experiencing transcendent fulfillment as you live in relationship with the true covenant keeper, he satisfies every inner desire need and longing and then your cup can begin to overflow to the other person that's the only way this is actually going to work. Listen, this is why, uh, you know, this series is about your marriage with your spouse, but it's just as much about your relationship with Jesus. Did you know that? Like, it, I want to just kind of close out our time here talking about this. Brian, if you're in the room, you can come and make this spiritual for us and, and help this land home. But this series, is it's about your marriage, but it's, it's, even more importantly so about your individual relationship with Jesus and living connected to him. Uh, marriage, what it's, Paul gets at this idea in Ephesians five again, he's talking about marriage and he's like, listen, the, the mystery is profound of marriage and it's actually a window into a deeper reality. It's meant to put on display Jesus's covenant faithfulness to his church. This is why you can never have your marriage as an end in itself. Marriage is a window into a picture of the greatest, most beautiful reality. Listen, marriage is not about your faithfulness to your spouse. It's about Jesus's faithfulness to you in the midst of your unfaithfulness. Marriage isn't about you finding fulfillment in your spouse. It's about you leaning in and finding ultimate fulfillment and satisfaction in a real life tangible relationship with the God of the universe, and in fact, there's this fascinating uh, book in the Old Testament, uh, Hosea, and uh, it's it's a crazy book. You should read it. And essentially, what happens is there's this prophet. His name is Hosea, man of God. You know, like, and, and what what happens is he. God calls him to essentially marry a prostitute named Gomer. He's like, hey, Hosea, I know you're a great dude and uh, I want you to go actually marry this prostitute. And he's like, wow, okay, that's crazy. So he does. He marries Gomer. As the story goes on, what happens is Gomer goes off and she sleeps around. She cheats on her husband. And even here, actually, let me just say this. For those of you where adultery is in your story, in the context of your marriage, where there's a pornography addiction, which would absolutely be in that same exact Exact category, by the way. Every time you look at porn, you're committing adultery in the eyes of Jesus. He who looks lustily on another woman commits adultery of the heart, says Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. So even if that is the case for you, where there is adultery in the context of your marriage, the Book of Hosea is like even that's redeemable. Did you know that's redeemable? That there's no area of brokenness, pain, and hurt in the context of your marriage that the healing hands of Jesus Christ can't, Christ can't touch and rewrite the narrative. He can take all of you. He can take all of your story. And so as the book of Hosea goes on, what God essentially does is he hijacks the story and he tells Hosea, keep taking her back, keep taking her back, keep taking her back. And there's this moment in the book where God's basically like, yeah, you wanna know the whole point of this, Hosea? This is me and my people. And see, because here's here's what happens. Married people, we do this all the time. All right, be honest. We do this all the time. We read the book of Hosea, and then what do we say? I'm Hosea, I am Hosea. You are Gomer. You know, like (laughs) you're the faithless one. You're the disaster. You're the reason everything sucks and is so difficult. And then what Jesus does in the book of Hosea is he's like, whoa, 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 there, cowboy. Not the case. I'm Hosea, you're Gomer. This is the reality, right? We cheat on Jesus all the time. You cheat on Jesus all the time. We've got all these other loves and desires, right? You wanna know how you tell what your idol is? It's what, it, what, it's what you love to talk about more than anything. It's that thing that you freak out about if it's threatened, to be harmed or taken away from you. That's a a good way to tell what your idol is. And Jesus is like, dude, you cheat on me all the time. The church cheats, cheats on me all the time. But the point of the whole book is like, listen, I keep coming back. Where you're faithless, he's faithful for he cannot deny himself, says Paul to young Timothy. And this is why marriage isn't first about your faithfulness to your spouse. It's about Jesus's faithfulness to you. It's not first and foremost about your love for your spouse. No, 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 no. So much greater than that. It's about Jesus's love for you in the midst of your brokenness, in the midst of your sin, in the midst of your spiritual adultery, in the midst of you walking out on him over and over. Listen, can I just give you the good news? Jesus is not changing his mind about you. He is not about to walk out on you and once you really drop the guard and you let that hit your heart you watch how that transforms your life and your marriage this is why we got to start with a relationship with jesus because you do have these transcendent divine needs that only he can satisfy would you stand with me i want to pray for us to that end lord we just thank you that you are a covenant keeping god You are so faithful, Lord. I thank you that you're faithful even when we're faithless. And Lord Jesus, we got a lot of brokenness, a lot of hurt, a lot of baggage, a lot of dysfunction, a lot of pain in this room, Lord God. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come with a wave of your presence. Would you do a deep work in our hearts and our lives? Lord, I thank you so much that you're taking the pressure off. You're taking the pressure off and saying, no, 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 listen, come back to me. Come back to my heart for you. This is where you have to live. This is where you have to stay. It's about a transcendent relationship with me, the God of the universe and that's where you're going to experience fullness of satisfaction and fulfillment and joy. Holy Spirit I pray that you would just cause that vision to just uh, enrapture us this week in Jesus mighty name and Father I just speak life over every marriage in this room. I thank you God that there is nothing too impossible for you. That you love every single marriage. You love every single family and today is a day of great big crazy faith that you are still God. You are still a covenant keeper and if you're going to keep your covenant with us We can keep covenant with one another. And Jesus, I'm just believing that we are gonna see you do a deep and incredible work here the next five weeks as we venture into your heart and design for marriage and for family. So God, bless your people. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're gonna do. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Hey, guys, love you so much. Before you go, I just wanna invite you. We're gonna have a prayer team up here. If we can pray for you, if you're willing to say, yeah, we need a moment of transparency and vulnerability, we need some help. We would love to pray for you, lock arms with you, and believe for God's best for you. Otherwise, have a great week, everybody, and we'll see you next Sunday. Thanks for coming.